Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello to Rojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we've got a huge show, record-breaking show, number of questions coming in. Talking with Coach Harvey Hyde about USC's 41-31 loss to Stanford Saturday night in the Coliseum. Overwhelming response from all you guys. I don't, I don't even think I want to give out our, our contact information. We've got so many questions, but we'll give it to you anyway. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Uh, you can go give us a voicemail too, 641 715 3900 extension 816646 or go to our website com. click on the left side of the page you leave us a voicemail there uh t- record setting voicemails the last couple of days it's absolutely been crazy of course you can subscribe on iTunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast a direct way to get to our show and if you have any other podcast app just search through there and through iTunes you can find the peristyle podcast and subscribe to it uh, leave us some positive feedback that would be great and without further ado, I want to bring in Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, the, the response from this game has been overwhelming. We never, ever had this many questions. We've been doing this since 2008. It's unbelievable how many people have written and called in upset about USC's loss to Stanford. Well, Ryan, uh, good morning to you. Good morning to all of our listeners. Again, we want to thank you very much for being a part of our show. Without you, we really don't have a show. So, Ryan, why don't we get started here and try to get to as many as we can. And I'll apologize for you, Ryan. We can't get to all of you, but we're going to try, and maybe one answer would also be a part of your question that you answer asked, too. So let's try to get started here and get to as many as we can. Yeah, and but before we jump in, I just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the uh, the, the website, or you can give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. So the baseball games, of course, football games coming up. USC just had three home games, but they'll come back for some more in the Coliseum. Go to sctickets.com and they'll help you out. And yeah, coach, we'll, we're going to do our best to, uh, to get to everybody's. We'll try as many as we can. There'll be some overlap. Um, so I apologize if we don't get to yours, but there's just been so many. Uh, it's really hard to get to. So let's jump right in and, uh, start. Hello, Hello Ryan. Let's go. This is Imani from Koreatown, longtime listener, first-time caller. This message is for the coach. Coach, you've often stated on the podcast, a team is a reflection of its coach. For some reason, I decided to go to the YouTube link, the season, Ole Miss football coach Freeze hired. It's a link that was published in 2012 regarding the hiring of coach Huge Freeze. After watching that link and then subsequently watching the link of Coach Sarkeesian after the loss to Stanford, I come to the realization USC does not have a coach. And if you guys really want to get a better understanding of this message, please watch the season, Ole Miss football coach freeze hired. And then after you watch that, watch the interview of Coach Sarkeesian after the loss to Stanford. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for calling. Uh, uh, as far as USC having a football coach, uh, I don't get into or want to decide who should be USC's football coach, but I do always say that a position or a team 
is the direct personality of the head football coach. Uh, you have to be, uh, you can't be uh, denied respect from your players. You can't be their buddies, but you can love them. And they all know you love them, but you care about them. When you're with them, you care about their families, but you have a responsibility to the university and to your boosters and them themselves as far as making sure they perform to their utmost. I think it it comes uh, from uh, being a a coach that's involved in their lives, a coach that's involved on the football field, a coach that's had the experience and knowledge to know offense, defense, special teams, a coach that's involved on the sideline that the players can see exactly uh, uh, that he is intelligent about the game and knows what's going on. Now, I'm not saying Coach Sarkeesian doesn't know that. They're just different ways of displaying that. Uh, I'm one that was uh, up and down the sideline, jumping, hugging, yet at the same time, I'll rip you know what. Because stupid penalties I did not allow, any type of personal fouls I did not allow, any type of embarrassment to the team I did not allow, Uh, wear your uniform correctly as far as your jerseys tucked in and your socks pulled up, and you wear the uniform that we assign you. Don't tell us what to uh, what you want to wear. This is what our tradition of our college. That's me. Now there's other philosophies that work too, and uh, I think Coach Sarkeesian is in a very difficult situation because uh, people are looking at, oh, oh, it's the same old story. That's what people are looking at, and uh, in in this game against Stanford, I, I hate to repeat myself. I think you all saw. The same thing I did. We've been talking about this since last year. We've been talking about this in the spring. The question mark on the defensive side of the ball, it's got to become more physical. They've got to become more aggressive. They've got to play with anger. They've got to play on their side of the football. You've got to be able to play offense on defense. You've got to remember that football is as much yours as it is theirs, and you've got to take chances at times. Kids like to take chances. They like to get after people and be in their face. And sometimes you're going to get beaten, sometimes you're not. And you can't have excuses for why we didn't execute properly or we didn't contain. Well, there's a reason why you didn't do a lot of that stuff, you know. That's what you're a teacher about. That's what your coaches are supposed to do. People expect you to win at least the Pac-12 championship at USC or a national championship. That's what the expectations are. That's why student-athletes go to USC. So when it falls below that, automatically, who does it look at? It looks at the head football coach. Now, there's different ways. Uh, John McKay would walk across campus, and if the if players saw him coming, they'd go the other way, but they didn't know what to say. If you were called to uh, John McKay's office, they'd say, uh-oh, uh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on? Yeah. But So you know what I mean, Ryan. It's, it's different styles for different people, and it isn't always the same. But you've got to be in control. You've got to be the platoon sergeant. You've got to be the guy that's up front, not on the hill with binoculars. And I think that's the best way to explain it. All right, let's uh, move on. Another voicemail question. Hi, Ryan. This is uh, Alan in St. Louis. Um, this question is either for uh, Coach Hyde or, or Dan. Uh, two quick things. First, um, just watching the game, I don't understand why USC run just splits literally every defensive down. Um, first of all, because either you can get a turnover or get a play that leads to loss behind the line of scrimmage, but even if the blitz doesn't work, then the end result would be that Stanford would score faster 
and that actually helps USC anyway. So I don't see any downside to blitzing as much as possible with the way that Stanford was playing on Saturday. So I want to know what the coaches think about that philosophy. Secondly, I, I've heard a lot of uh, people in the media say that there's nothing USC could have really done. The players just weren't strong enough, got, were out physical, um, you know, on the field. But I think that if someone who used to play football, anyone else who's played or coached football knows that there are things you can do when you're facing a physically superior opponent. And I want to know um, what the coaches think about that in terms of what they could have done better um, from the defensive standpoint to, to um, break through that offensive line. Thanks so much for um, for the podcast, and uh, sign on. Uh, thank you very much for your question. First of all, you know going into the game against Stanford, they're going to be physical. They they play old-style football. You've heard me talk about knocking people off the ball. You've heard about me talking on playing on their side of the line of scrimmage. You see the jumbo uh, formation where they get in that formation and they're not going to be denied. You see them in an eye formation. You see them in a spread. You see them in all different type of formations, and they're always prepared for whatever the down-distance situation is. You see their quarterback running power plays off tackle. You see their quarterback running quarterback draws. They can keep you off balance on what they do. You see their big receivers in the slot with mismatches on your secondary. Hopper, uh, their tight end, t- catches two touchdown passes. Rector catches a touchdown pass. They're both 6'4", six, 6'5". They just overmatch your defensive secondary. So they're very intelligent on their placements of what they do, and they pound you first. They make you stop the run, and if you don't stop them on first down or second down, it's over because they're on schedule. Remember, they still huddle up. They're old-time football. We're going to run the clock out where you don't have much time to have the football, and you start to panic on the offensive side of the football. The, their philosophy, the best defense, is an offense that has the football. And if you can't stop them or prepare to stop them, then you're in trouble. Now, being physical on offense doesn't mean you can't be physical on defense. And I think this is one thing that I haven't seen out there on the practice field or they haven't faced yet. They've averaged uh, 300-plus yards a game. I mean, giving up uh, against the run, I don't have the exact stat here in front of me. But, you know, when you give up 350 yards or whatever a game in rush offense, and I'm not talking about you didn't play Ohio State and you didn't play LSU and then you played Stanford. You played Arkansas State. You played Idaho. There's got to be some suspect there way back on, hey, we better do something up here to help the defensive front. And you've heard me talk about this over and over and over as far as if you don't have the physical guys up front, you've got to do something to even it out either blitz or get in the gaps or shoot the gaps or give them a lot of different looks or go to a four-man front continuously. You've got to do something to help the guys. You've got to gamble a little bit. You've got to say, hey, we don't have the physical defensive linemen, so we've got to be able to penetrate and play on their side of the ball and stop them for no gain occasionally. In the third quarter, USC only had two possessions. Offense only had the ball two times in 15 minutes. Well, that that's you know, you're not going to win football games. Time of possession, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. I mean, that's almost unbelievable that that can happen to USC. So, yes, you got to be physical. Yes, you got to learn to be physical. And you don't teach it now. That's being taught a long way. How do all of a sudden uh, you tell your guys, okay, guys, we're going to be physical now? Hell, 
You got to be physical from the beginning. You, you got to be tough during the beginning. You got to be, you know, the the hammer, not the nail, as you hear me always say. But that's all as far as I can go on this question because we got others. Yeah, and the, he talked about blitzing. We got plenty of other questions on blitzing too, so we'll get into that in a, ne- in, a in one of these other ones. So here's another one. Hello, Ryan. This is Ed Duncan up in the Hat Desert. I haven't called in quite a while. I saw a little bit of the USC game last week, and I was pleased with some things, and I was skeptical about others. But after watching the whole game tonight, it's just kind <clears> of <throat> upsetting to be a USC fan and continue year after year to see these miscues with so much talent. So I'm hoping Coach Hyde bring it out like nobody can but him and really put the pinpoint uh, really pinpoint what's going on at USC. It's just heartbreaking to see so much talent being misused. So anyway, fellas, I hope USC can rebound from this and fight on Trojans. Well, I hope they can too for all of the Trojan supporters. And, you know, we go back to talking about the defensive side of the football and the offensive side of the football. And you've heard me say on the offensive side of the football, they run half of an offense which means, you know, they're running a spread offense uh, with an option type of read option offense, yet the quarterback is not an athlete to run the football where he runs uh, bootlegs after it, he runs powers after it, he runs keeps after it, they run power options after it. You know, they have no outside threat as far as putting pressure outside where the inside just collapses on all the running backs and they force them to run outside. Not that they don't do a good job at it, but the athletes are such tremendous athletes that they make plays happen but you've got to be able to have a complete offense you know you don't see a jumbo formation you don't see any eye blast eye play action eye power uh, where a back can see the holes opening and follow a fullback Uh, most of all of usc's running games the backs start off running laterally they're running laterally they're not running towards the line of scrimmage where you can get penetration then it's much harder for a back to cut back up the field, but they do a great job at it because they're great players. But a running game is what it's all about. That's where you become a great football team is when you can run the football. I have never seen a championship team that hasn't been able to run the football. When Oregon had its great teams with Chip Kelly, they ran the football. That opened up the passing game. So you've got to be able to run the football, and, of course, they've always had option type of athletic quarterbacks up there to be able to continue the series. So I'd like to see them go back to that type of belief where they teach toughness on the offensive side of the football along with teaching toughness on the defensive side of the football. Now, can you do that now? Well, it may be a little bit late, but I think everybody is panicked about, uh-oh, this is going to be another, uh, like last year, Arizona State, Utah, Boston College, uh, that type of season, which everyone hopes that's not going to happen, but in this type of a situation, Stanford was a 10 or 9 point favorite and won outright by 10. So that really demonstrates that there's some concern there of what's happening with the football program. Can it be corrected? Certainly can be corrected. You've got to keep your positive attitude and you've got to be positive yourself as a, a football coach and you can't lose your players. You can't lose your players. You've got to have the belief of your players. Your players have got to believe in themselves. And they got to believe in your system. 
and they got to believe in the head coach and the coaching staff. So I think that's the best way to explain that. I don't have a lot of time. We have a lot of questions, but thank you for calling. All right. Here's a, we'll do one more voicemail and we'll do some text, some emails and come back to the voicemails because we got so many coach. Here's another one. Hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. This is for Ryan and Harvey. Uh, had a lot of USC people that we're going for a national championship up until Saturday's game. And that was a statement game. And penalties, stupid plays, uh, dumb play calling, uh, Sarkeesian not going for the field goal in the fourth quarter. He hasn't had a statement game since he's been here that he's won. And the statement is that we all know that he's not the person for the job. So does Hayden. And sooner or later, somebody's going to have to do something about it. Uh, enjoy the program very much. Extremely disappointing loss. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you very much for calling. You know, I, I know what you're saying, uh, that last part of the game when he didn't go for football. The thing that was most disturbing to me. For the field goal, yeah. The field I mean, excuse me, what yeah. I call it? You said go for the football. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's me. Go for the football. But, uh, but I'm thinking while I'm trying to answer the question, and the thing that was the most disturbing to me was at the end of the game, the confusion in the two-minute drill. I mean, why is Cody Kessler trying to get the play from the sideline? I mean, got to run plays. Got to keep going. He's a fifth-year senior, senior that can run the offense. Get your guys lined up and run the play. You know what the two-minute office is, offense is. You know the down-distance situation. You've got to line up. They're not going to change their defenses, what they're doing. Just line up and run the two-minute offense. And when you get in a field goal position, kick the field goal and know you have to onside kick. And again, do the same thing or get in a, be lucky and, and hit a bomb or get a pass interference penalty down the field and you got a chance to throw a Hail Mary or whatever. Uh, that's what was a little bit confusing to me is how much time was used at looking to the sideline to get the play. Yeah. I would just say two minute offense, give him the single and let him run it. That's the first thing, Brian. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. That was just more of a statement voicemail than a question. So that's good. Uh, let's go to some emails. I love this one. Uh, this is from Andrew. I'm a lifelong UCLA fan who always disliked USC. I listened to your podcast because it's the best podcast out there from content to fair and straightforward views to production. This is my favorite podcast. Sorry, Dave Woods. Uh, Dave Woods, uh, works for bro, uh, the Brewer report online, the, the UCLA scout site, but Dave and I do a PAC 12 podcast together too. But thanks very much for that, Andrew. That's very nice of you. So he's a UCLA fan coach that loves listening to our podcast. He says, now I hope US, uh, Sark stays at USC forever. But how can, but how it seems uh, to me that Cody Kessler picks a favorite target and the USC offense rides that guy no matter what. It was Marquise Lee, then Nelson Aguilar, now Juju Smith. Is there a reason why uh, the coaches don't stress the value of spreading around with the run and pass to all of the weapons? Thank you from Andrew. Well, if there is a reason, I'd like someone to ask him that at a press conference. You know, obviously he's going to say he's a great player and we got to get the ball to him, which you do. But you have a lot of great players. I think Stevie Mitchell demonstrated that. I, I would say that on the two touchdown passes he had. I mean, he's a great athletic receiver. And Darius Rogers, how about the catch he made? Unbelievable catch. The thing that bothers me the most on the passing game is how they just eliminate the tight end. There's no mismatches. You have a couple of tight ends at a 6'6 and 6'4 and pretty good players, Connor Spears and the rest of them, McNamara and whatever, Tyler Petit. They're never used. They're never put in the same type of slot, type of position that Stanford put their big receivers in, and 
take advantage of the middle and isolate and out throw to your big guy. I don't see any tight ends involved in anything. Not at all in any way. I, I don't know. I don't think a tight end I don't even know if they caught a pass in the last game. I haven't I don't I don't can't remember back. Yeah, I think there was one. I think uh McNamara might have caught one ball early and that was it. Okay, one ball or yeah, it was a little short pass. Yeah. That's right. Out to the flat. But you gotta utilize these big guys with the receivers, just like Stanford did. I mean you've got great receivers but you've got tight ends. Put them in a flex position. Put them in the slot. Let them go down and curl up with the defensive back. Can't even catch them. Let them, let them run a post corner, just like uh, Hopper did in that touchdown when uh, down there when uh, just before half when they went up 24-21 and uh, Hogan sort of ran a tear, a rollout, whatever you want to call. It. I call it a tear, and he made a move and broke to the outside, and made a great catch. You got to utilize size over speed because size and speed together are, are pretty good, and these guys got good hands. But that's what bothers me the most, the utilization of all of your positions. And uh, also, I couldn't figure out during the game what happened to Trey Madden. Now I find out he had a little bit of injury and he got tweaked. But, man, he was having a great game, yeah. running over people. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. Not that the other backs aren't great backs, but you got to get into a rhythm. you got to get a feel. He was getting a feel of it, and all of a sudden, he was, was gone. So, you know, I, I, I'm in the rotations. But I mean the timing and execution, too. And I think that what happened on offense was not all offense's fault because they were put in a pressure situation because every time they went in, they felt they had to answer the score. But defensively, they just wore the defense down. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Dave and Ladero Ranch. He says, thoroughly disappointed in the defensive play calling. The defense could just not get off the field. The Stanford offense play calls completely outclassed and anticipated Justin Wilcox all game. Chris Spielman, the ABC commentator throughout the second half after Hogan hurt his ankle, was almost pleading for the USC defense to bring pressure up the middle on third-slash-passing downs because of his lack of mobility, and it just didn't happen. There's no question we have great athletes, and I applaud their effort. Last year, I was willing to give Wilcox a pass because of lack of depth. I'm now very concerned that he is too predictable and does not have the talent which was uh does not have the talent which was so highly touted um talk about his talent as a coach i think he means uh doubtful a coaching change can be made this early in the year but coach what would you do this early in the season if your defensive coordinator is not getting the job done dave and ladera ranch and we got i mean a whole bunch of questions about justin wilcox you can't even imagine how many came in about him well you know we're not talking about who the coach is or whatever we go back to the spring, and all I kept hearing in the spring was we're going to be more aggressive on defense. We're going to attack more. We're going to stop more. We're going to be more physical on defense, and all of the above. I don't I don't think I'm saying something that everyone isn't aware of, Ryan. And when I watched the first two games, I didn't see it. Obviously, I don't know if they were saving it for Stanford, but I didn't see it. I didn't see the aggressive, fun, uh, physical type of defense being played that's necessary to win a national championship you won that you win national championships with defense by stopping people and giving your offense when it's so skilled as usc's is to be on the field well the game plan now of everybody playing usc is going to be what run at them keep their offense off the field ball control First down, we got to get five yards. Second down, we got to get three yards. Now it's third and two. They don't know if we're going to play action pass, run it, or get in our jumbo and go for a first down or whatever. 
So that's the game plan that they're going to face. So they got to get ready for that. And the key of that is first down. You got to stop people on first down. You got to put the opponent in a second and ten, second and nine, and a third and eight type of situation where you know, in most cases, they're going to throw the football or play action pass. Now, in play action pass, you don't have to be as careful with it. Why? Because you know they got to get eight yards. So you can look at it and then play the pass. But until they start playing aggressively on the opponent's side of the ball, that's not going to happen. I don't see any penetration. I don't see any push. I don't see anybody getting through. And if you can't do that with your front guys, then you got to create the stunts and the blist, and you got to take chances. And I would say, and I'm being honest with you, the defensive players would really get excited if you brought in a stunt and blitz package that would really go after Berovici. Now, he can't run. He can run so-so. But you got to contain him. you got to make sure your containment is there. And how long have we talked about that? They got beat by, uh, by the quarterback last year from Utah when they lost containing. He ran it down there, and then they ended up beating USC. Travis Wilson, yeah. Travis Wilson. I can see the play right now going down the press box side when they lost contain. Contain has been something that they have always had a problem with. So you've got to speak on that. You've got to demonstrate that. You got to go up, up the middle, like where you know where he's going to be. The Arizona State quarterback. They ain't going to run option with him, and you're going to go after him, and you're going to stop him before he can get started. Otherwise, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. A um, couple more on Wilcox. Ron uh, wrote wrote in. His son was up in uh, lived up in Washington. Said that Wilcox was in hot water up there. He doesn't want him around anymore. And there's one here from Garrett in Seattle. So another. Uh, Seattle connection, but he said, I've noticed this uh, watching Wilcox's defense from last year till now and see this as a major flaw. And his defense, the defensive line doesn't slant, loop, shoot gaps, or do anything but rush against a straight, uh, excuse me, but rush straight into the offensive lineman in front of them. Even when they blitz, it's usually into a spot where there's an unoccupied or extra offensive lineman. Again, it's straight ahead with no delays or disguising, just really basic. We saw with Stanford, who plays a 3-4 like we do, their three-man rush got good pressure on Cody with less talented defensive linemen by looping and shooting gaps and making our offensive line move and think quickly. It's so much harder for a big offensive lineman to have to beat someone to a spot than it is to block someone rushing straight at them. We played right into Stanford's strength by rushing straight at them, making things easy for them because they knew where our linemen would be. Why don't we mix things up and get a little more creative with our rush, especially against the teams with better offensive lines who can't just be beat one-on-one. It's really frustrating seeing other teams use different schemes and be able to get pressure and penetration, which must with much less talented players than we have. Thanks and fight on Garrett in Seattle. Garrett, you're right on. I mean, I don't know if I can say it any better than that. I, I see the same thing you do. And if I was to answer it any differently, you people would say, Coach, did you go to the same game we went to? <laughs> or did you watch the same game? I mean, I mean, uh, I respect your football knowledge out there, and I have to agree with you. It's no push. It's all bull rush. There's no gaps. There's no twists much at all. And there's twists with a stunt. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's very vanilla. It's very easy to block. It's very easy to know where the people are going to be. Uh you know, uh, what can I say? And you don't have the studs to do that. You don't have guys that are just going to bowl guys back into the backfield, into the face of the quarterback. 
It hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. At two sacks in the first two games against Arkansas State and Idaho. What's that tell you? Tells you you got to give them help. You got to change something. Something's not working right. So uh, I still know. Maybe you're too stubborn to change. Maybe you just don't know what to change too. But you got to be able to change. And again, Saturday, I thought at times the secondary was confused. I hate to say this. I know Stanford ran a lot of different sets, but at times I saw guys waving guys around and pointing, you got him and you got him and all of that, like recognition of formations and knowing exactly what the call is, and not having breakdowns in their coverages. So I think they got to get the whole package together and uh, review everything. And, of course, as Coach Sarkeesian says, and all coaches do on Sunday and Monday, go out and try to correct what was wrong the week before to get better. But you just go out, can't go into your meeting and say, we're going to be more physical. we got to be more physical. Hey, you got to teach that way. you got to teach that way. they got to know last spring, hey, this is what we want here. I want to see your nose bleeding occasionally or your opponent's nose. And I want to see uh, an enforcer out there coaching. I want to see somebody, you know, excuse me, saying maybe some terms that you shouldn't have your girlfriend, wife around, or, or children around. Because sometimes people need to be told exactly in their language of what the heck's going on out here. And sometimes it needs to come from the head coach. And the head coach can't always necessarily be phony and be somebody he's not. He's got to be sincere, but people know when you're being phony, and then it becomes a joke. We had a couple more people write in about Wilcox. Uh, Gene says he made uh, Heisman candidates out of you know Kevin Hogan and uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Um, obviously doesn't like what's, what he's seeing out there. Uh, Dennis in Lancaster wants Wilcox to be fired. How many more losses before it takes for him to get fired? Um, we also have kind of a voicemail question that talks about assistant coaches. Maybe, so maybe I'll play that and kind of get your thoughts and all that, Coach. Here you go. J.D. from D.C., question for Coach Hyde. Hope it gets you in time for this uh, afternoon session, Ryan. Coach, uh, fans are quite familiar with the drama and dynamics that go on uh, about the head coach changes and replacements in programs because that's all very public. But what goes on behind the scenes typically um, when questions of assistant coaches and coordinators come up uh, for discussion? Does the uh, head coach typically solicit input from the staff, particularly from that side of the ball, or is there perceived to be some kind of conflict of interest in, in that the uh, assistant coaches are liable to be uh, on the way out as well if uh, there's an, a coordinator turnover because they want their own staff brought in um but do they just sit by idly and uh, watch a slow train wreck if that's what they think is happening and the same question applies to uh the captains typically if there's going to be a big decision in this regard does the uh, does the head coach solicit the uh, input of uh, the captains particularly on that side of the ball well uh first of all myself uh, the way i used to do it uh, i had my my position coach and coordinators were responsible to me, which means that that I expected a certain uh, excellence out of their performance and uh, the being paid to do 
what we expect him to do. And I was in charge. I knew what the offense was. I knew where our, what our game plan was. I knew exactly our strengths and our weaknesses, and I knew what we had to do to win to, in order to uh, accomplish our goal, which is victory. On the defensive side, I knew all the defensive uh, players. I knew exactly what defensive stunts were called, what defenses were called. I knew the coverages. I knew everything. I knew the goal line defenses, goal line in, goal line out, whatever you want to call it. I knew how they all were because part of them were all my philosophy. Now, I hired coordinators because of their success and where they've been, but they also incorporated my thoughts into what their packages were. In some situations, and I've done this before, I hate to tell you this way, I've gone in and said, okay, uh, if you don't clean this thing up, I'm coaching the defense, or I'm going to be in all defensive meetings, and we're going to, I'm going to talk to the team, the team's going to know I'm not happy at all with what's going on, and we're going to, we're going to do it this way, and this is what we're adding. And if the guy didn't like it, that's too bad. Pack your bags and go. Because we're all evaluated on our performance. And who does it ultimately come back to? Me, the head football coach. I am responsible for the direction of this football program. Now, you've got to be able to know offense, defense, special teams, to be able to make these changes and lead the leadership in, in your coaches as well as your players. And your players, you can't kid your players. They've been in camps since the sixth grade. They know when you talk to them about techniques and terms and execute. They know. They've heard it for years. So you've got to talk intelligently that, to them. You can't just say our execution was poorly done or we didn't contain. Why was it poorly? What did you do wrong execution-wise? Why didn't you contain? What was called? What was going on that you lost contain? Why don't you stunt? Tell us. Don't just expect us to tell you what to do. Sometimes it, you know, what happens is you've got to still be in control of your football program as a head football coach and your assistant coaches and your, your players and the whole thing. And you've got to hold a press conference where you don't run around the bush. Obviously, everybody knows that you're not too happy about the performance. You've got to stand up and say, guys, this is what happened today and blah, blah, blah. And we played a better team and they kicked the thing out of us and, uh, Hey, you know, we're not very good. We're going to have to get a lot better. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to be here, and plus you're going to, you know, not see us win as many games as what you expect us to, to win. And you, you, I think you've got to be up front with the team. You've got to be up front with the media. And you've got to be up front with your staff. A lot of these guys are close friends. They've been around each other for a long period of time. It's good to be close friends with your assistant coaches. Don't get me wrong, but if one is letting everyone down, you're only as strong as your weakest link in a chain. You know, somebody not getting his job done could cost us all our jobs. So you've got to be on top of it. You've got to let people know I can be your friend. Hey, but I'm paying you a lot of money to get it done. Teach it, or I'll teach it. All right, uh, good stuff there. Let's go to Jesse in Seattle. He said, to say I'm disappointed is an understatement. I watched the game and came away. That we are not physical at all. We are not ready to play big boy football with anybody. The offense was decent, but what happened in the second half? The defensive line couldn't make plays, and the defense failed to blitz on obvious times with a gimpy quarterback. Hogan spent the entire game playing pitch and catch. The coaching staff did not have this team ready. They're determined to run this spread no-huddle offense, but never go up-tempo as they should. How is it that teams like Texas A&M, Old Miss, Ohio State run similar schemes but are very physical on the field? You're going to tell me... uh 
that they have better talent than USC, I really feel it's this coaching staff. A football team is a reflection of their head coach. Love the new show format, Jesse in Seattle. Well, Jesse, uh, I said this last year, and I think a lot of you heard me when I said this. If you're a regular listener, I said, what SC runs is just a offense without a huddle. It's not up-tempo. Once in a while, they'll go up-tempo, but they'll slow it back down again. Uh, it's a, I said last year I would feel better if they did huddle up because I felt that they had a bunch of young offensive linemen, and they want to always make sure Cody looks in the eyes of everybody in the huddle and gets it done. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of confidence that you send to your team, and you look at everybody like to say, are there any questions, ready, break. Um, I, I, I don't know why you are trying to run something that doesn't fit your personnel. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I've always felt that the style of USC football in the past was we get better players than you, so we're going to line up and beat your butt. We're going to punish you. We're going to be physical. You don't all of a sudden become physical just immediately. you got to learn that's why you go to USC. I'm not going to just block you. I'm going to hurt you. And I hate to use those type of terms, but that's my term in coaching. And your backs are, you never get knocked backwards. If you ever get knocked backwards, uh, that's not the type of back I want. You get the extra yard. And the receivers, you're not a receiver. You're a blocker first, and then you're a receiver. And once you get that attitude on the offensive side of the ball, well, your defense has got to be the same way, but you've got to go against these guys every day. I hate to go against these guys every day and just have them kick my butt every day, so the defensive philosophy has got to be, hey, you know what? You might think you're going to kick our butt, but when you come around that corner, you try to run off tackle. If you're going to blast me, my, I'm going to go straight at you, the fullback. I'm going to knock your head off and knock you in the backfield, and you're back in and ain't going to have anywhere to go. So, you know, it's all on your, your philosophy on what you're going to do. I always felt that the best teams in the country get the best players, so don't be cute. Line up and punish people. Stanford gets great players. They do exactly what they can do. They, uh, except for last year, they've gone to four straight BCS Bowl games, and they've done it by punishment and by not making mistakes, execution. And uh, I like that style of football. Now, if you look, Alabama's got a little cute down there at Alabama. They're not as tough as they used to be. They're running that spread, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and you know, they, they haven't experienced a lot of success. In fact, they got, you know what, we're pretty good down there this weekend. So they're not as physical as what they used to be. They're more technique, let's play chess, this and that. It's not a chess game. It's not ping pong or table tennis. It's football. And I think that's what FC needs to do is play football. Uh, okay, let's go to John in Brea, uh, California. He says, I just discovered your podcast, and I'm so happy I did. Well, thanks, John. I really enjoy your thoughtful, in-depth coverage of Trojan football. Aside from the skill position players, the team looks soft and out of shape on both the offensive and defensive lines. They don't look like USC linemen. The late-game fades we saw last year were blamed on lack of depth. This is worse. It looks like lack of conditioning. What are your thoughts on the strength and conditioning of this team? Well, you know... Uh, it's hard to say. I, mean, I, it's like I, I, I think this, Ryan, I think that the only way you learn how to play football and you get in shape, as you've heard me say this before, is play football, which means rotating players in are great. Okay, don't get me wrong. They're great. But when you play big games, 
you don't do as much rotation because you got to keep your best players on the field. So if they've been rotating in and they haven't been able to, you know, they haven't taken the necessary 50 turns or 60 turns during the game, when they have to do that, they wear down. Now, if all your players are equal, then you can do that. But obviously, all your players aren't equal. You've got great talent. You want the morale to be good. And against certain teams, you can do that. But you, due to that, you lose your conditioning because I always feel your conditioning comes from playing like a, a pass rush, then a, then a third and one situation, and then another pass rush. And you might have to pass rush three or four plays in a row, and that's not easy at full speed. You get exhausted, but you've got to be in condition to do that. And it starts from practice. But when you go against the offense, you don't just go one time and you come back and the next guy gets in the line and goes up and the next guy goes up. Hey, that offensive tackle and that defensive tackle, the ones against ones, go six, seven times in a row. Not every other or one out of four, but every times in a row so that you get conditioning out of it. So you're, you're still able to play when you're fatigued. And uh, I'm not going to get into all of that about what's happening in practice, but I think you can't just run or lift weights to get football conditioning. You get it from playing football. And I used to have my offensive line coach take the, the offensive line down to the sled, and they wouldn't hit the sled, seven-man sled, one time. We used to figure if a drive was 10 or 13 plays, that's how many times they would go. You go back in the huddle, huddle up, break to the line, do ready, set, go, boom, drive the sled for five yards, get back in the huddle, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. So your legs and your body and your mentality conditions yourself for that extra effort that you're going to need. So I'm not saying whether they're in shape or not in shape, but this is my point as far as getting ready to be in shape to play a complete football game. Um, speaking of offensive linemen, Coach, uh, Denny, class of 2009 from Bakersfield, said, I'll be straightforward. The offensive line looks horrendous. Well, that's pretty harsh. Um, for a group with 99 combined starts entering the season and ranked number two in the country by Phil Steele, they look more like bottom 10 than top 10. What are you seeing and how can we improve to allow Cody Kessler more time to throw the football downfield. Fight on, Denny, class of 2009. Well, you know, I don't want to be critical on kids, but I don't see the athletic ability in a lot of these kids uh, as far as they're big, they're strong. They might be better just coming off the line of scrimmage, but, uh, you know, their technique as far as they're big, they're heavy. They don't have great lateral movement. They can't move it to – they can't pull that. But they pull, but, you know, they got to get the technique down a little bit and get up the hole and block people. You know, they can't just aim at one person, the guy makes a move, and you miss them. But they're young, and they're talented. They're all five four-star players. And they can become great players, but you got to help them become great players. And uh, I'm not going to be critical on kids because it's not kids, but I'm just telling you, you got to, again, do what those kids can do the best. And when you have big, powerful kids, then run big, powerful plays. Um, we'll do a couple more for you, Coach. I know we, we, you know, is that okay? Yeah, you're wearing me out today, right? I know. Right? I'm what sorry. is this? We gotta, I'm trying to get to most of them, but here, we'll do, we'll do this one. Hey, Ryan. Uh, first off, great job on the expanded podcast. I uh, really enjoy the uh, additional content and podcast champion uh great stuff 
A question for Coach Hyde and for you. Um, I wanted to get Coach Hyde's take on the safety play. It seems like Stanford on its third down conversions and touchdown attacked the middle of the field fairly deep. Um, in fairness, on one of those plays, Adoree fell down. But on the other hand, uh, on the other side of the field, uh, uh, one of the Stanford tight ends dropped a sure touchdown. So I, you know, pretty open right in the middle of the field. So I just I had concerns about safety play. I wanted to get your take. A second and related question for you, Ryan. Do you think there's any chance that uh, Stuart Cravens comes back next year and uh, rotates back to safety, uh, preparing to be an NFL team? Uh, which may be his NFL position, could sort of salivate over a defense, uh, the secondary of Adoree, uh, Marshall, of course, and, uh, and Sua, and then fill in fourth guy, Chris Hawkins, or Blackbird, or whoever, uh, with all those young linebackers coming through. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thanks a lot. Uh, bye. Well, no, I, I you you were watching the game pretty uh, closely when you saw Dory slip and fall down, and the uh, the I think it was the tight end uh, Hooper caught catch that touchdown pass, um, and the other I think it was was it Hooper or Rector dropped that touchdown pass in the end zone. They utilize their big receivers and try to have mismatches, and they pretty they run well, and uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I've always felt this, and I and I, Ryan, you remember I said this a year ago. So I'm not trying to say just because you called in and asked this question. And Ryan, I'm sort of answering your question. That's fine. But I've always said I'd have kept Sua, Cra- Sua Craven at safety. And you people say, well, why would you have done that? Because I don't want him on one side of the field. I want him to be in the middle of the field. I want him to be able to help me on all all positions all over the field. When you have him on one side or the other, he's only playing half the field. He's a great player, and you're right. Uh, I think he'd be a great pro as a safety. He's going to be. I would have had him back there, and he like he lines up. He takes care of your secondary. He makes sure everybody's in the right position. He can hammer you. You can bring him on stunts and blitzes, and and he can go off tackle and stop people. Plus, he can cover in the secondary. I, I was shocked when they moved into the linebacker because they got they got people who can play linebacker. I'm not sure I'm really sold on the scheme and how they play, but but I always felt that he should be in the line. You remember I've said that over and over yeah. and over. Why would you play him where he's only on one half of the field when it's your best defensive player? He, he's definitely the best defensive player, and he's you know one of the only guys making individual plays, and like some of the other people have wrote in, it's kind of like this defense is set up for just go out there and go straight ahead and make an individual play. And, you know, it's not more about, it's, it's less about scheme and more about have a guy making a play. He's a guy that makes plays. Um, so wherever you can kind of get him on the field. It was interesting on the safety stuff, coach. I didn't see Leon McQuay out there much at all. I have to look at the participation chart to see if he played. Uh, but that was interesting that a guy with that kind of experience wasn't out there more. And not that I thought the secondary was a problem. I thought, you know, most of the, the, passes that were completed were great throws and great catches and usually USC was there even the one where Dory fell down uh, Marvell Tell was close or, or, or there was Chris Hawkins I forget which one uh, but they were in there close as far as Cravens goes I, traditionally at USC when you have the best player on defense he's not 
sticking around for a senior year. Maybe a quarterback comes back for a fifth year. I don't see a guy like Sua Cravens coming back uh, next year. But I don't know what you think, Coach. No, I agree with you. I agree 100%. I think he's, especially after when I looked at him at the press conference after the game, he was pretty down, pretty down. I mean, uh, I don't know what his thoughts were at that moment, but, uh, you know, he's got to do what's best for himself. And and I think it's way too early to think about that. I think you got to think about winning football games. Yeah, 100%. All right, we'll do two more quick ones, Coach. Here's another voicemail. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Fresno. Uh, went to the Stanford game, very disappointed. For, uh, this question is for the coach. Uh, straight off the bat, um, there are gaps to the right and in the middle, um, and they've been there all the, the three games that we've had. Uh, the secondary is weak, despite having all the best talent to, to play in our secondary. The team is flat, has no oomph, uh, totally 180 degrees from when Coach O took over. Um, you can recruit, but you have to develop the talent. Adjustments um, don't exist uh, when it comes to this team. Uh, Stanford had, did nothing special, but couldn't do anything to stop them. Um, and I think we're playing to lose again. I think, what does the coach think we have to do to turn this team around before it turns into a kip in part two? Fight on. Well, I'll tell you, you got, you got some... Uh... I think you've got a, a, a job to do because, first of all, I think everybody's hanging their head right today, the coaches, the players, and so on. But you got to you got to forget that game. Uh, as a coach, uh, I was to get my staff together yesterday, and I talked to them and give them what my thoughts were on the game, and and uh, we've talked about that a little bit. But it wouldn't be very nice, and uh, I would evaluate myself and say. You know, well, I don't know what I'd say. But uh, the team, you got to save the team. The team is very disappointed. It blew out two teams. Uh, they thought they were going to beat Stanford. They read the press. They were 10-point favorite. It wasn't as easy as they thought it was going to be. Stanford, they saw the Northwestern film, probably laughed at them against Northwestern and didn't have any respect for their win against the, the South or whatever it is, UC Florida. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I can't believe they weren't ready to play, but uh, obviously whatever their game plan was or whatever their intensity level was or whatever it took, it, it didn't happen. It just wasn't there. And as the game went on, it got worse. I'm, I'm just telling you, it got worse as the game went on. I mean, Stanford took command of the game. Uh, it would, uh, you know, I, I lost complete. Uh, I don't know. I lost the 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 the, nah, the, the feeling that they were going to win. I think that's the best way I, I want to put it. I had for a moment when they came out, it was they went up. Uh, it was twenty four twenty one and a half, and I think they came back and it was what thirty one twenty eight. I thought they had a shot. Then when they got that other score, I said, "Man, they're never going to get the football back." And they never got the football back. Like <laughs> I mentioned earlier, in the third quarter, they had two possessions. Two possessions. Can you imagine USC only having two possessions in the entire third quarter, 40 minutes to 20 minutes in the entire game? That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you do. I mean, I, I, I probably would handle it a little bit different because my personality is different than what Coach Sarkeesian says, I assume. So what I would do is a lot different than what he may do. So it's hard for me to say what he should do. Because I know damn right what I would do. 
Um, Anthony in Memphis wrote in more about firing Justin Wilcox. We just keep getting more of those. The last one I want to read for you, though, is uh, Michael from Toronto. So we'll end on an international question. He says, it's the third game and the world has ended. Well, maybe not. But coaching does seem to be a problem. Sark for being uh, unable to get the team mentally prepared for Stanford. Um, Wilcox, as he said, strike one on the rivalry front. Wilcox for not being able to get the most of the superb talent at his disposal. Was it scheme? Was it lack of aggressiveness or awareness that Hogan was on a gimpy leg? Where did the attacking defense go? Connolly, he's talking about Bob Connolly, uh, and Wilson and, and Chris Wilson for somehow getting this year's lines to actually be worse than last year's when in fact they should be way better because of the experience and numbers. Helton's play calling, I'm sad to say, somehow didn't take advantage of an underbanned Stanford defensive line. Guess we'll have to wait for next year for a shot at the national championship. Uh, your thoughts. Uh, he said, please continue these podcasts in whatever format you choose. They're great and provide a sense of community, community for fans from across the planet. Fight on from Michael in Toronto. Well, you know what? Everybody keeps talking about the defensive front. I'll tell you the first thing I'd do on the defensive front. I'd try to get some quickness in there. There's no quickness whatsoever. Greg Townsend's the quickest guy to have on the defensive line. I mean, if you watch him, there's no quickness. Yeah, they'll plug a hole, but as far as pushness, any type of pursuit, any type of getting a gap and penetration, there isn't any. So I'd find out who could play. I'd find, I'd want to find out who could play on the defensive line that has some quickness and wants to get after somebody. Just because you're big doesn't mean you, you're you a good football player. Not that they're bad football players, but, I mean, I want to get after some people. There's no question I'd change the schemes and what we're doing. you got to do that, but you're going to lose faith in your players. Players are going to say we're doing the same thing again. No, you can't do the same thing again. You got to give them a, a transfusion of belief, and uh, you got to do that by saying, "Okay, guys, we're, we're good at what we do that way." But you know, we all know we didn't get it done, so it's time to help everybody. We're 11 guys over here, and we got to get it done. We're in a foxhole. You got to kick some butt. So uh, that would be my attitude. I got to get more speed over there on the defensive front. Got to get containment. I don't think they'd had that touchdown there. When he when he uh, ran that rollout or tear to the right and he hit Hopper in the end zone for a touchdown there, if you'd had containment, you'd been right in his face. All he did was just run out there and throw the ball, run to the sideline. I mean, gosh, there was no containment whatsoever. I mean, I could have thrown. I don't know if I could have thrown it, but somebody. <laughs> sure, I you mean, let's, you know what I mean. There was nobody there. He just ran out there and waited for him to make his moves. The door fell down. He went on. He threw the ball away from the defensive back. Great play, but he had all day. You can't let people do that. Other people are going to come out and do the same darn thing. So you got to be able to contain. you got to be able to get, get after people. So I would say we're going to have some fun on defense. And uh, I've been saying that for weeks. Defense is fun to play if you play it the way the kids want to play. They don't want to sit and read and all that crap. They want to get after people. Now, occasionally you have to do that. But, I mean, they want to get after people, have fun, sack people, you know, have a good feeling about themselves. Not always being, it's third and one, we got to stop them. Oh, they made it. Oh, my gosh. It's depressing. you got to give them a chance, uh, you know, where they can get three and out of the field. Okay, Ryan. Coach, uh, we kept it under an hour. So I think that was pretty impressive, and we got to a ton of questions. We never answered seven voicemail questions in one podcast, and we did that today, so... Uh, bravo to you great job i mean it was uh we tried to get to everybody's it's just so hard there's so many but we wanted to 
at least touch on all the subjects. And, you know, I think you did a great job of that. Thanks, Coach. Well, thank you. And for all of you out there, uh, have faith, tape up, be physical out there no matter where you are. And, we'll, and we, hey, it's tough to go to the desert at night. This game's at 7.30 p.m. It's tough to play in the desert at night. So we'll see what happens. We will. But, Coach, great job. Thank you so much. And, everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Um, we're going to have a little message here from Southern California Tickets. And don't forget, we're going to have more podcasts all week. So we'll keep coming back and try to answer more and more of your questions. So thanks so much for tuning in. And here's a message from Southern California Tickets. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.